I'm Carl Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And uh, this week we've got a bit of a special episode and a bit of a, a bit of a change of pace. We're going to be taking a retrospective over the last, um, well, 30, 32 episodes, I think, by now. I think this is the 33rd episode. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we doing this? I think it... Um, oh, boy. Uh, partially because we know that, like... There's a lot of material, right? Like, we've, we've produced a lot of stuff. And um, we're aware that we have the listeners that are getting on board now. And, you know, potentially going back to episode one and starting from there is kind of daunting. So to give, give you a bit of an overview of the, um, of the, uh, the series so far, and also to um, tie together some threads and some themes that have been developing in the background over time, and that... In, in, in the normal run of an episode, we never get to tie together because we're always running up against the time limit with just the material we have to cover, and there's no room for digressions, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, I in preparation for this, I uh, went back over the notes for some of the episodes, and uh, I realized that I'd lost the notes for some of the episodes because they were on paper, and I threw out the notebook. Um, uh. So it's, it's a bit spotty, but I also I also listened to some of the the very first episodes again, and oh boy, like that that first one is is a real mixed bag. It's like like it, it gets good, but by a, easily the slowest start to a podcast I've ever heard. Like just so much dead air in the first ten minutes, and so much just like sleepy kind of dialogue and just not like no no energy whatsoever for the first 10 well, minutes well <laughs> i mean I, I, to be fair i think that was when we were still starting so that i was getting up at six o'clock in the morning to record so i think that may have something to do with my lack of energy <laughs> but i mean it does get good right like it does actually get good um yeah yeah uh, I was struck with that with that episode, like uh, you know, episode zero zero one podcast of the cybernetic Marxists. Um, it like it's remarkable how much of the show is there in the first episode, right? Like, and how many of the themes are present. Um, and we we sort of nailed the opening of it, really. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, I think we've had a pretty consistent. Um, vision for what this podcast is about mm-hmm. and we've we've picked our readings and we've picked our guests according to what we wanted to do uh, at the beginning here and um, I think that that has worked quite well um, uh, that you know this is uh, not a podcast about uh, for the most part day-to-day uh, political back and forth, right? Um, it is not a podcast about um, about you know what is the best form of uh, political engagement, right? Generally speaking, um, and it is it is not a podcast about uh, every possible concern to Marxists or to systems theorists or anything like that. Uh, it, it has a quite a bit of focus to it. Um, and I think it benefits from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it does, I think, certainly. Um, like, remembering back, like, how much of that was deliberate? And, um, like, because I know that I know we, we don't touch much on, like, uh, current events stuff. And I wonder how much of that was a deliberate choice and how much of it is just an artifact of the way we the way we record the show right like like we have such a long backlog there's no there's no point in making contemporary references (laughs) 
Well, I mean, from what I remember, that was deliberate. Like, uh, that was a that was a deliberate choice um, because there are many podcasts out there that cover those things, right? Like, I'm not saying it's bad to cover those things. I'm just saying, what's the point in us doing it, right? Like, we are both very busy with our work and certainly don't have the resources to keep up with the discourse. And um, it's, like, I think we, we both kind of came into it with this idea of doing more sort of like background work. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm definitely glad we did. Cause um, like now that I'm thinking about it, that, 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 that was a deliberate thing. Cause like, um, like I, f- I follow a lot of left podcasts and stuff and like, it, it's like, it's nice to have a diversity of sort of viewpoints on the same subjects, but then like when something happens, you know, a sort of major event or an election or a, a whatever, some sort of world event, and then every goddamn podcast is doing the same episode that week, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I can, I can stomach four of these, but the, the fifth one is going to be a bit hard to kind of pay attention to. Um, sure, sure. So yeah, um, it's it's nice. Um, yeah, it's 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 nice to have this. Um, this 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 focus particularly on um, the sort of fusion of technology and sort of technical stuff with the socialist politics, um, which is a very touching back on what we're supposed to be talking about. It's a very strong theme in the first episode, right? Um, yeah, um, and particularly kind of like um, like we we sort of started out with this this program of like trying to push back against this apolitical you know in quotes uh, sort of techie stance that you you get amongst um amongst amongst technical folks right that like oh i'm not i'm not political i'm just a programmer that kind of shit um it's like no dude yeah. come on <laughs> yeah and i mean i i think that uh like obviously i certainly came to that to some degree from my time as a student of Fienberg. But I think for both of us, that was something that was really inspired by our kind of very concrete day-to-day experiences with tech and tech (laughs) people, right? Like, like that, that this show, you know, generally isn't super engaged in day-to-day stuff and um, may seem a little bit sort of abstract and academic at times, but, like, I think that was very clearly coming from lived experience for both of us. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, for for me, it's like... um... Like because I, I went from kind of left organizing to um, kind of getting out of that for a while and kind of getting into technology and kind of kind of taking up like wearing that kind of um, sort of liberal techie hat for a while um, and then being kind of like consistently put off by a lot of what I was seeing and a lot of the discourse I was hearing and then kind of you know, over the course of years working up to this point where it was like, you know, bad enough that I had to start a show about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, having, having lived that, like, and, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a damn shame, like, because, um, you know, people that really should know better, um, and like, you know, should, no, that's, that's, that's too judgmental, right? Like it's, it's more that like, we, we should get to a position where, you know, people who work with technology and people who design technology and people who do all this sort of stuff are 
in a more sort of educated position about these kind of issues. Um, mm-hmm. so that's just recasting it not so much as a personal failing as a systemic failing. Um, but yeah, all, all that's there in the first episode. And um, the other sort of big theme as well that like we, we stick to is that uh, the future is contingent, right? That like, it's, it's not determined like this, um, this technical determinism that you get out of uh, techie folk and just a lot of people in general. Like, we, we even we even talk about this in the first couple of episodes that, like, um, a lot of this sort of uh, Silicon Valley kind of ideology has just seeped into the general culture, like, everywhere in the world and is now just kind of the default. Um, so when, when, we, when we're critiquing the Silicon Valley stuff... Uh, and the the Californian ideology, where we're really actually kind of taking uh, taking aim at um, just the general contemporary kind of uh, culture that like you know celebrates Uber and all that other shit as just like an un- unmitigated sort of good and um, you know all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, um, uh, definitely. Like uh, I think that is where the show has had a lot of resonance. Um, is that these yeah this this culture the 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 california ideology um such as it is uh has become very generalized uh and so it's of interest to a lot of people even if they're not uh necessarily in directly in tech uh the the tech touches many parts of their lives and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of this discussion when we get to uh, talking about platform capitalism, mm-hmm. but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the yeah, next one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, again, like, a, a big feature of that kind of ideology is this determinism, right? That, like, um, oh, you, you can't you can't do anything about surveillance capitalism. It's just inevitable, right? Like, um, you can't do anything about uh, disempowerment of workers, you know, that's just inevitable. It's like, no, get it, get out of here with that shit. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Um, and it, it took us a while to get back to that, right? Like, it was, um, like, 27 episodes later with, like, the Transforming Technology series that we we finally nailed down um, the exact reasons why that is wrong, but, you know, that's, 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 mm. all, that's all sort of present here initially. Um Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I think that we could have started there, um, but I feel like getting the context in that first part of the series um, was valuable um, because we could read through a dense book like Transforming Technology and talk about the sections that we wanted to talk about um, and the concepts that Feinberg brings up, but relate them to examples that we had uh, developed and, and talked about on the show. Um, so, like, it wasn't... it. It, we benefited from having something outside of that, like, narrow technical philosophical background, because I feel like on its own, that is a pretty rough start to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, that's, a, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting way of putting it, right? That, like, because, um, like, one, one of the themes I've definitely noticed is that um, for the first, oh, ooh, how many episodes? Like, 20 or so? Or de- definitely up to up through... Um, up through episodes 10, 11, and 12, which were all watched over by Machines of Loving Grace, up through then, like, it's it's all critique, right? Like, it's all kind of yeah. very negative. Um, right. And it's not until we get to the cybernetic brain with, like, episode 18 and 19 that we start to get anything that 
really resembles a positive program, right? Um, and because because I have this like constant kind of imposter syndrome and performance anxiety and stuff, like in one way that seems like it, it feels as if we were initially kind of floundering in a way, but no, I, I like your I like your take better, right? Where like it's that we had to establish all these problems initially um, to have things to refer back to when we got to the positive stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was definitely a part of the process, and um, you know, I had read the Cybernetic Brain. I guess it was two years before we started the podcast. So the ideas in there were not new to me per se, but when we did finally get to that book and reread the sections that we did read, I think I definitely got more out of it because of the previous discussions we'd had. Like, like, you know, in my PhD, I, I read tons and tons and tons and tons of material about like all of the things that we're talking about in this podcast, but I didn't have the discussions that we had on this show. And I think that that was really what gave me a new perspective. And I think those were very valuable, um, to, uh, to have in mind when we were approaching that book. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I guess like moving on a small bit, uh, second episode for futures, um, which I, which I still think of as the first real episode because <laughs> it's, it's the yeah. first time we're actually reading something. Um, yeah. that was, that was a fun <laughs> little book and, um, it, uh, it reinforces that theme of like being against determinism, right? That like the future, um, the future in particular is an outcome of struggles and choices, right? Like, um, that it's not set in stone. Um, and for listeners who haven't gone back that far, um, it's a sort of like schema for the future where it's like, um, if you plot these two axes of like, um, uh, hierarchy versus equality and, um, plenty versus scarcity, you get these kind of four, four squares. So like one is communism, socialism, rentism, and exterminism. And it's kind of an exploration of, um, what those different futures might look like, uh, based on those kind of contingent, uh, contingent outcomes. Um, yeah. Um, th there's some stuff in there that we, we never really get back to, or we, we, we touch on very briefly, like stuff like the uni universal basic income, which was like, that, that was that was kind of looming pretty large in my thoughts when we started the show, but it just hasn't been a theme at all, really. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't really talked about UBI too much uh, subsequently. And I think that that may be um, because of the focus of this show, uh, which is, is less on kind of like all-purpose general sweeping social reforms like the the ubi i like i think we kind of came back to that when we were talking about um those uh or the the, the labor uh what was it like a white paper that we did um, uh yeah so like episode 13 with alternatives which was yeah the labor white paper and then i think we touch again on it in episode 15 technology and the worker because it comes up there a couple of times right um, so i mean it's in the conversation but again i feel like this is this is not an uh economic or it's not an economics podcast, mm. right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're and and it's it's not a it's not a public policy po uh, podcast, it's not a policy wonk podcast. 
Um, and so our amount of engagement with that is always going to be somewhat limited, right? Like, uh, yeah. Big old nerd podcast instead. You know, this is like the, the hardcore yeah. systems theory sort of stuff. <laughs> that's, that's more our sort of thing, right? Just ob- obscure mid-century cybernetics books. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like it's... It, it is that, but it is also more than that, right? Like it is, uh, it is engaged in a way that, um, you know, I used to listen to a lot of uh, coding podcasts, right? Uh, you listen to something like um, like uh, Functional Geekery, um, right? Like that's that's a that's a podcast that is purely about programming languages and. Uh, information theory and basically, yeah, functional programming. Um, and we're not that, right? Like, the, like we are not uh, apolitical, technical, decontextualized in the way that that sort of show is. Um, yeah, and I, I, I really like if we ever become that. Then, oh yeah, the show's uh, fucking over then, at that point. Like, yeah, yeah, then I'm, I'm done. I'm yeah. out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely not. No. Um, yeah. It's, so it's it's a show that's all about synthesis, right? Like it's we're taking we're we're, we're always synthesizing something. I think that's the the, the strong theme uh, throughout throughout all of the episodes, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, episodes three and four, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Pretty pretty fun. Uh, fun movie and uh, fun episodes um, yeah like we, we touch back on it occasionally but it's not it doesn't loom incredibly large in the, the sort of mythos of the show um, one thing I noticed though is that like uh, we spend a fair bit of those episodes uh, obviously because the film leans on it pretty heavily but that kind of like Baudrillardian simulacra sort of stuff um, and we just never we never really get back to it and it's hard, you know hard, hard to say whether we should but um, I think ba- back around then when, when we were recording that stuff I was more starting to think about like oh should we do we should do Society the Spectacle we should do this sort of stuff and um, I'm not I'm not sure I think that any, anymore you know I don't I don't know I don't know that that's um, I don't know that that's a sort of avenue that's as pressing to explore I don't know like what, what's your take on that yeah I think that <clears throat> what I think maybe one reason why we haven't uh, gone in that direction is because um, Baudrillard's analysis is like fundamentally pessimistic um, and we've tried to kind of create more not necessarily like optimism, but at least openness in our thinking. And uh, we've tried to bring in these theories that are about this kind of like ontological openness and and all that sort of thing. Um, And Baudrillard is really not about that. (laughs) He's not that. Yeah, he's not that at all. I mean, like, would I say that Baudrillard's theories are inapplicable in the, you know, media circus spectacle hell world that we live in? Of course, they they have some applicability, right? Of course, you could you could do that analysis, and I wouldn't say you're wrong to do it, right? Like, there is, I mean, you look at like just so much of politics, and it it, it is about it is about the virtual. It is about simulacra. It is about um, the media uh, today. But um, 
yeah, it's 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 not really. I mean, I often have the thought with this show that there may be something like somewhat Pollyanna about our our work, right? That like we're we are coming from a place of like yeah, like you know, um, at least I I can say like you know my job has really run me into the ground again and again <laughs> yes. this last year and I really personally feel the crunch and the the uh, sort of the oppressive nature of, of working in a capitalist system uh, <laughs> at, at a very personal level yep. uh, but nevertheless I guess mm-hmm. there is a certain amount of insularity about my current life or the life that I've led over the last couple years um, that has allowed me to um, kind of talk about these, these, these somewhat more abstract or somewhat more blue sky kind of topics. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I often think about like, well, are we being too Pollyanna? Like, is this is this too divorced from how incredibly awful things actually are? Um, but you know, to kind of take it or leave it. That's what the show is, and um, I'm glad that it's out there at least. Like, I I don't expect everybody to appreciate what we're doing or find that it speaks to them. But at least it has an identity, and I think there are people for whom it has been constructive. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, um, I think the, the, the thought has crossed my mind as well that, like, perhaps we're a bit too Pollyanna, yeah, as you put it. Um, but, yeah, it's. I think it's... It's a sort of important antidote to the um, kind of miserabilism that's so prevalent in sort of in in Marxist thinking, right? Like the um, especially in this era, right? Like the kind of well, I suppose another way to put it is that like I mean, Baudrillard is, was in one ways like the kind of Dante of our our hell, right? Like mapping it out in its cartographies, right? Like, but like. I don't think there's as much use in everyone being that kind of Dante, you know, like just accounting for the, um, you know, once, once, once you've mapped hell, uh, a couple of times, it's kind of, there isn't maybe so much more to say about it. Right. Like, but, um, I think we, we do need this. Uh, I mean, I think that was also stuff that came up in the early episodes. We do need this kind of sense of positivity and of, um, of you, of like utopian thinking as, as kind of cursed as that word has become. Um, that, you know, because if, because if, if that's, um, if, if that's not the case, right? Like if, if there is no way out of this thing, if there's no, if there literally is no hope, like if, uh, if Fingberg is wrong and, um, industrial society can't ever be reformed if there's no way to ever create socialism then just why why why, why bother right like what what we're wasting our fucking time with that with all of this stuff if, if that's the case right like and if you if you still persist then you have to admit that there is a possibility beyond what, what we know right like that um it's that that openness yeah. we were just talking about right the the kind of ontological openness um because yeah, if if um, if Baudrillard was right, or you know, if if this kind of like very very dour sort of miserable take, if that's just right, then yeah, it was we're wasting our time. <laughs> um, yeah, and I I think like you know one thing that is very of the moment right now 
um, is, uh, you know, the kind of movement towards like, uh, like solar punk. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm currently writing a game in that genre. Um, and, uh, have been kind of thinking about it quite a bit and you know it's obviously connected to that sort of optimism or or openness that we have been trying to bring out on the show um and you know it's a fine line to tread between kind of exiting a circular negative thought patterns uh that just reinforce our own oppression versus just engaging in denial about how awful the situation actually is. Oh, right? certainly, like that's, yeah. yeah. That is a, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and it's, I mean, we're all in a mourning process about our civilization and our entire way of life, right? Like, the, the, there is so much of our politics and of our discourse right now that is completely out of touch with our actual circumstances and how we go through that morning process is going to be individual to each of us. Uh, but I hope that we are, uh, engaging with our moment through this work in the most honest way that we can. I'd like to think so. And I, I, I hope that we haven't ever crossed into any kind of denialism um in the in the sort of in the you know like you're, you're right that it, that is a tricky balance right like it is a very tricky balance um yeah it's and it's something we have to keep an eye on constantly um i would hope i, I don't think we have ever gone properly into kind of denial mode um and no. I, I hope we never do yeah. but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it's uh i mean I think mourning is a good way to put it, right? Like that is that is certainly what's going on here. Um, but even I think that that that's instructive because like the processes of mourning have more dimensions to them than just uh, sadness, right? Like that there's the, the, there's more to it than simple negativity, and I think that's what we're trying to get to. There is like having having sort of deeper critiques and having deeper uh, having more sort of open. Um, or having having accounts of how things could be different, um, which is you know stuff that we get to in a couple of episodes. But um, yeah, uh, episode five, uh, Californian ideology, great episode. Check it out. <laughs> I don't think we can do justice to it here. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just great. Go back and go back and listen to it. Um, it's uh, it's really really kicking the shit out of that um, kind of dumbass Silicon Valley kind of ideology and that kind of techno optimism, uh, the, 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 the hollow, because like we, we've, we've been just been talking about defending our own optimism, but the, th- the thing we're attacking there is like, is this very hollow and contradictory, uh, un, unanalyzed form of optimism of like, Oh no, the internet, it's just going to be great. You know, technology is awesome. What, what, what are you talking about? Why, why, why are you being a downer? You know, that, that, that kind of thing. So we, we really put the, you know, get, get some solid kicks in against that sort of stuff, which is fantastic. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we had uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of things to say 
after many frustrating conversations um, in our past, and uh, that that uh, reading certainly gave us a framework and a venue to um, to work with. And, and you know, th this uh, the California ideology is directly uh, cited in platform capitalism. Um, and there will be certainly discussion about that. Uh, so I, I, I anticipate that, that that material is going to come up again in the very near future. Mm. Well, that's another recurring theme for the show, right? That like we, we tend to follow the citations and, um, and follow up on stuff. Um, or... Um in, in both directions, right? Like we, because um, I, th I think the reason we did California ideology so early was because it was referenced by Curtis in All Watched Over, and it felt like it was kind of foundational before we got to that stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a good point, and I feel like there's also a thing that. Um, we do at the beginning of this show, which is very much about um, revisiting the 90s. Um, obviously, our culture as a whole is revisiting the 90s right now. You go outside and you see people wearing fashion that could have been right out of 1993, right? But um, I think that because that was a formative time for both of us um, and because it was such a formative time for the tech sector, uh, it was kind of important to go back and talk about this stuff. And, you know, the California ideology is one of the sort of the most iconic texts critiquing that period. Um, and so I think it, it was it was good to go back to, uh, certainly, um, as, as a foundation because yeah, you can go back and talk about, like, the pre-90s Silicon Valley, right? Um, certainly a thing we could do and might do in the future. Uh, but the tech boom of the 90s is really something that stands out in people's minds, mm -hmm. including our own, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, like, uh, to give a bit of a preview for the, the upcoming episode on platform capitalism, like, that, 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 that book makes the case that, like, the, that tech boom of the 90s sets the tone for everything that comes after it. Um, with, right, with and I think that certainly. I think that that is accurate. Yes, um, yeah. So it was very much calling the key yeah, for the, by by which tech will play from there on. Um, uh, th this also is the genesis of like a recurring theme for the show in that like we we tried to record too much in one session and just like fucking flamed out completely. Um, we were <laughs> we were going to record the Californian ideology and uh, the next one of flying cars and the declining rate of profit. At the same time, because we thought, oh, they're, they're two pretty short, like, um, articles. And I was like, whoa, boy, dude, we, we have this awful habit of misjudging the amount of material that we have to, have in front of us. Yeah, yeah, oh, well. it, it definitely happens. Yeah. Um, but uh, Flying Cars is a good episode. Um, it's... Um, it, it it touches on a lot of stuff that will, we'll, you know, again, you know, these, these are the recurring themes, right? That, like, in the early episodes, we kick off... Uh, stuff that'll come up again and again but like um the ones that stand out to me are this like um this notion of like stagnation like in the face of like um like everyone sort of believes that capitalism is still super dynamic and that technology is still accelerating and all that sort of stuff but like a sober analysis of it says otherwise um and that also stuff like the the insufficiency of markets right to deliver on on big promises right that like it um, which would come up again later with the accelerationists and such. And, um, and that, like, capitalism just isn't as innovative as it thinks it is. 
Um, so it's it's two, two two episodes back to back that are like getting getting really solid digs in against this kind of like mainstream Silicon Valley sort of ideology, but from two two different angles and like. Those articles are separated by a decade, at, at least, aren't they? Or twenty years, even? Yes, um, yes, yeah, yeah. So it's a fair bit of time, yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good pair of episodes, though. Um, definitely go back and check those out if you're just joining us now. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I feel like we refer back to that article a lot, or at least I do. Like, I'm yeah, yeah, constantly certainly. referring back to that article because it it does make its point very strongly. Um, episode seven, alienation, um, is. It was a bit of a departure for like the format of the show where we were, instead of reading a particular text, we were going over um, a particular topic, like Marxian theory of alienation. Um, I think it's a solid episode, but um, it's it's not a it's not a format we come back to very often. So I don't know what what does that say about it? <laughs> yeah, there may be. I, I mean, I think what it is is that we may find the need to cover another topic like that again, but um, it's certainly difficult to provide a good account of a subject like that. Um, and, uh, you know, something we, I think we'll continue to do sparingly um, because, you know, that it's not just that it's a lot of work. It's that there's only some, some subjects where we might feel qualified to give that kind of survey of the topic, right? Um, yeah, so um, I know I know I was drawing a lot on my time in grad school and my studies there to sort of basically give a lecture on the subject of alienation and, and Marxism. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, how many subjects could I give a lecture about? Well, there's probably quite a few, but how many of them are relevant to the show? You know, it, it, it's kind of hit or miss. So, yeah, I, I, I think we might come back to it again. I just I just think it will be only if we really see, like, oh, there's a gap here that we need to fill, right? Because, um, you know, we could have gone uh, and talked about... Um, say the cybernetic brain right away but I, I i do and like we could have talked about uh you know like xenofeminism right away but they wouldn't have been as good right like if we did them that yeah early, like they just wouldn't have been that good i think that background was valuable yeah because like as much as as you know like xenofeminism comes out of the anti-humanist tradition at least having a background of what marxist humanism is is um, or uh, at least the sort of positive side of it, as opposed to the, you know, the side that really got severely critiqued, um, I think was valuable there. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, um, I don't have anything at the front of my mind in terms of like, oh, this is a topic we absolutely have to cover. But it was a thing that was coming up again and again in discussion, but we hadn't really defined yet, right? Um, and, and so that's where we, I think we felt the need to do a definitional, uh, episode like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, it's very much a foundational sort of concept. Um, it's just that there isn't, there isn't that much to say about it right now. Um, but it's, you know, solid episode. Go back and go back and check it out. Actually, you know what? Go back and check them all out. Um, <laughs> even, even with that caveat at the top of the show, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you've like, got all the time in the world. They're all, they're, all pretty, they're all pretty good, right? Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, um, no, like for sure, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, episodes eight and nine, read plenty. Um, that was a that was a fun read. Um, but like, um, mm. that was our first our first touch point with cybernetics. But I thought it was absolutely hilarious later when we got to interview Andrew Pickering, and he was like, "Nah, that that wasn't really cybernetics." <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, it was it was a cybernetics, yeah. right? It was just it was just not the one that he found it interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Is there anything that jumps out at you for those those episodes? Oh boy! I mean, I think that book is. I still think that book is really great. Um, I think it's it's really good at communicating by through example. Like, okay, again, I have the caveat that I added to that episode, which is like, you know, Spufford read the same books that I read, so uh, like, I was impressed with his capacity to communicate very um, dry material about a historical era that has passed um, in fiction um, and and give these kind of uh, very illustrative examples of these different aspects of the Soviet system in the book. Um, but yeah, I was I, like it, despite that limitation, which I acknowledge is major, right? Like, I'm not going to brush that aside to be like, oh, well, you know, like reading stuff in translation and not really having any primary sources is no big deal because it is a big deal. Uh, but from what I know and what I've read, like, I'm still very impressed with what uh, he came up with and what he presented there. Um, it, it, no, it's 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 a really uh, really fantastic book, um, and and just you know that that those two chapters about the whatever it was the the big uh, the big machine that they have to get for the factory and the, yeah and the sabotage and then how it's connected to Goss plan it's just fantastic uh, writing uh, like it's it's just it just explains explains so much. Uh, in 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 this this wonderful, you know, just kind of comic tragedy story about the dysfunction of the system, right? Um, yeah, certainly. Um, I think the other sort of thing to touch on here is that it's an example of um, that sort of optimism that we we're just talking about. Like, it's the the first time we were seeing like the 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 whole background to it is an attempt at a rational economy, right? Like. Um, as 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 far as far off the rails as it ends up going, there are those early chapters that do a very good job of putting across just how daring that attempt was, and how the uh, the people sort of involved in the early days really sort of felt that the 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 pressing uh, the the need for that mission, right? Um, and you know, it gives us some glimpse of like, I mean. Oh, if if we're not wasting our time, then we have some plan or some. Um, pretension to want to do something like this again right like a cybernetically rational economy or a um, world a future that is very different from the one we know now right having having a historical example of of that is is reassuring even if it you know you know and ends up in those later two chapters where everything's kind of fucked up like extremely fucked up um yeah like i mean uh 
this is sort of a thing that like Curtis brings up in hyper normalization, but there is there is the, there are sort of parallels you might draw between that moment of crisis for the Soviet system and the moment of crisis that we find ourselves in now, and that sort of that that sense of dislocation. You know, I think I get this a lot less in my everyday life. Uh, but whenever I go to like a conference, like an academic conference, or when I'm talking to people who are sort of very invested in the the system or the way it operates, or you know, just just have some stake in this kind of like general conceptual level of how our society is organized. Um, there's this incredible sense of dislocation, this incredible anxiety that people have, this sense that like the bottom has fallen out. There, like, there is, you know, basically nothing holding up this edifice anymore. Right. Uh, and, and especially when you go and talk to academics. Right. Um, and uh, in that kind of situation, we do have to 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 think boldly and in a very um, exploratory way. And it's good to look back at this kind of example. Right. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why the book became so popular in the first place was that it it was a follow up on the 2008 crisis. Right. Like people were like, well, you know, obviously, like it, it, the 2008 crisis called into question our entire organization as a civilization and then you know this is a book about a similar sort of topic yeah so yeah yeah um yeah really good stuff um but that brings us on to episodes 10 11 and 12 where we uh do this this monster three-part series on uh, the documentary series all watched over by machines of loving grace which is which is a big which, it was a big sort of project for us right to to, to mm-hmm. look at this thing it's a it's a real fucking downer right like it's it's this like catalog of these instances of the bad kind of systems thinking right um all these dreams of like using technology to stabilize the world and to create, you know, a networked world that would be stable forever, all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, like the nineties boom and it's, it's like, you know, the, the proliferation of computers giving the illusion of stability, which allows uh, banks to make much more dangerous loans than they should have, which leads to a fucking collapse, all this kind of stuff. And then you have like part two with it's like, um, where he gets onto like critiquing cybernetics and like the, the sort of the American cybernetics very, very harshly. Um, and the... You know the the problems of the the the, the notion of ecology and um, of um, thinking of the world as if it were a machine and all this sort of stuff, right? But like, th- this was a hard set of episodes because like um, we're we're fond of a lot of those ideas, right? But like they 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 turn out in this in this package to be the components of a a catastrophic uh, r- result, right? Like. Um, it's it's all it's all like I think I, I can't really think of a better way to put it, but it's just the bad kind of systems thinking, and I think that's what plants it in our minds that we have to come up with something that is a strong counter argument to, or at least subconsciously, right? To to come up with a strong counter to this. Um, yeah, 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 and it, it um, you're you're absolutely right. Um, we see in that series so much of where this stuff can go very wrong. Um, and 
it is very pessimistic. Um, and it was interesting. I think Curtis did an interview recently with, what was it? The Economist or Financial Times? The Economist, I believe, um, yeah. The Economist, yeah. Um, and the tone of the discussion was, it felt almost a little bit more optimistic than what you usually see from him. So maybe he's turning a corner. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, maybe there's something different going on. Maybe there's a change in his perspective because I mean, maybe it was just because he was put opposite some shithead from the economist, but, um, I, I felt like, like it just, it just seemed like a different tone and, and I, I don't know, maybe he'll do something interesting in the near future that we'll be able to cover and sort of revisit his work and maybe talk about what we've come to think of in the time since we covered all watch over. Yeah, sure. Um, I wonder if we can get him on the show. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be stunned if that happened, but still. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we can sort of like, um, there's a lot of themes there that, yeah, we'll. I think we'll maybe come back to in a short while when we get to um, the cybernetic brain because that's where we get to this kind of, like, positive counter-argument. Or at least just, like, stuff to contrast it with because, like, um, there's one, th- one thing in the notes here that I kind of want to mention. There's, like, this um, one thing that Curtis, like, harps on constantly is this, like, these these people in the documentary and like the, the people he's accounting for like they have this really narrow over application of a, like a machine metaphor to like like oh na- nature is a machine this macbook in front of me is a machine therefore nature is a macbook you know that sort of mm. really dumbass kind of like narrow um frame of thinking and that's in stark contrast to say stafford beer you know who, who we'll get to in the cybernetic brain and like um my other sort of favorite thinkers like Deleuze and Guattari who have this like extremely open version of a machine or system ontology that is is so much more rich and vibrant and dynamic than the kind of um just yeah I can I can only describe it as narrow uh, machine thinking that uh, that that came over these folks you know um yeah um and uh, it was it was quite interesting because uh, I've been working on this paper on and off about governance and um, and and games, um, and oh, I I just came across this factoid that uh, if you remember, there was the the one guy that was on uh, the show talking about like early warning systems, and then how his ideas sort of informed the Club of Rome. Oh, um, the guy with the dumb name, uh, Buckminster Fuller? Is that him? No, not no? Buckminster Fuller. Uh, it was... Uh, Jay Forrester. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Forrester. So it turns out, like... Uh, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I, I got a pretty good... Um, I, I Like, I did look it up, and turns out this guy wrote some stuff on urban planning and that actually ended up becoming the inspiration for sim city <laughs> fantastic oh boy yeah i was like wow yeah wow. like because i mean you know i think as screwed up as like a ton of the um assumptions about urban planning are that are in SimCity, I think it still informs a lot of people's ideas of like how cities are planned, right? 
being being from being from Ireland, I never got the impression our cities were planned. <laughs> but yeah, for, for the American context, <laughs> right. that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, especially like living in Edinburgh, that's especially that's especially the case as well. But yeah, like um, that's definitely a thing, right? Oh yeah, totally. It's I mean, it's a very American game, right? Um, and so that's an excellent point uh, that uh, you know the the sort of assumptions that are baked into that game um, are are very much of the American mold. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's just interesting to see that like you know this guy's ideas were not just Club of Rome ecology stuff, but actually you know were like a direct inspiration for. Uh, this artifact of, of my childhood and, and like basically the game that came to define all city builders that preceded it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's this very sort of like uh, popular systems thinking that's, that's out there in the world. Um, and if, if anybody wants to sort of dive into that a little bit more, there is, um, I think an episode of uh, Three Moves Ahead on the latest expansion of City Skylines, and they get into that discussion quite a bit in there. And it's quite interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, all, all watched over. Those three episodes are, are, I think, great episodes of our show. Um, definitely check them out. Um, uh, episode thirteen, uh, alternatives, and this this was me continuing. From, you know, episode seven, Alienation, and then later we'd get an episode called Acceleration. I was trying to keep the one-word episodes to always begin with A, if I could. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that pattern will hold, but um, it'd be nice if I could well, keep that joke going year, for a you gotta, you gotta switch it up. Go switch to, to B, B now. Yeah. That's a um, real challenge. That was a, that was a fun episode in that, like, we, we read a paper from, well, from or commissioned by the Labour Party um, of the UK, and uh, we le- read a, a piece from David Graeber and, um, and Wengro about uh, this sort of, it's sort of an odd piece about, like, human history, right? Like, and um, how our assumptions about how we transitioned from uh, early societies to, like, agriculture are actually kind of really quite wrong. Um, but it's this, it's this theme, again, of, like... Um, the possibilities for societal formations are much wider and more malleable than we expect them to be, which is, uh, yeah, that, that kind of Pollyanna kind of point again, right? Like, of like, well, you know, thing, things can be good, you know, um, or at the very least things can be different, right? That's, that's the, that's what we were getting to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that was fun. Um, Episode 14, Markets in the Name of Socialism. I think that's that one sticks out in my memory as possibly being... Uh, I think, look, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I think it was a really good read and um, some really good stuff in there. I think it's one of the worst trade-offs in effort to um, episode duration that we've ever had. Because, like... That was a that was an enormous book, and it took a fucking like a lot of effort to read it in time to record. Um, it was it was a grind. It was like that is that is like of all the prep that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the high watermark for fucking prep, right? <laughs> yeah, in the in the run of the show, like that is the one I remember. I have like vivid memories <laughs> of like where I was where I was sitting down, where I was reading. Um, and just, just, you know, chatting with you about the grind 
of getting through that book. Um, it was it was really intense. And you know the the thing that really sticks out to me about that book is that period when the project of neoclassical socialism is going off the rails and everybody realizes that something is wrong and they don't quite know what to do and it's just before the collapse of their entire society right and like that like as dry as that book is and as as sort of like laden with the burden of uh of uh academic history writing it is uh that moment still very much just stays with me uh that story stays with me i i think about it very often um when i think about where we're at as a society right now well yeah i mean like i was just gonna say like i mean it sticks with you because it reminds you of something right like um something very immediate um but it also it also like the one of the lessons to take away from that is that like you won't recognize the collapse of your society coming you Mm -hmm. know like being being like being moments away from just the fucking end of uh of what you've known um you, you you're not actually aware of it right like um so I, I, yeah i get this haunting feeling that we're presently uh, you know as of whatever fucking january of 2019 this is um you know in a f- similar sort of position i mean it's it's hard to know about time frames right but um yeah i don't know um <laughs> definitely get the same very similar kind of vibes right um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely a similar sense of dislocation and uh, political disarray um, that that we we find ourselves in as and like I think it was worth looking at that because um, the stories of Yugoslavia and Hungary in particular are very like unknown and underappreciated for most people. Like I, yeah, I I think that, you know, people know about Yugoslavia because of the civil war, but they, they don't really have much sense beyond that of what that story was right. Like, yeah. Um, and so it, it was, it was really interesting to visit, that and talk about it, even though I'm certainly not an expert, um, just because there was a lot of optimism and experimentation in that society um, that is maybe something we aspire to and so certainly something that like as the book suggests something that that did influence our history right like our history of neoliberalism was informed by those experiences um in ways that we probably don't appreciate and uh i don't know yeah it's a really interesting historical episode um and uh it's just kind of a shame that the book really suffers from its format and like, it's just really not that enjoyable of a read outside of those, those few sort of moments of brilliance that you run across. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I agree. And I I think I would even, I would put it in a sort of like positive sense of like, I I would actually like to read that again, but in a different format, like in a a completely rewritten to be like a, you know, 150 page sort of. Yeah. uh, Zero. Absolutely. 
wise. Absolutely. Um, I would actually really like to see that again because um, it was a bit of a slog to get through, but um, turned out to be a pretty sweet episode. Um, episode 15, uh, Technology and the Worker, uh, was pretty cool as well. Um, finally getting back to, like, uh, tech sector organizing and, you know, technology in the workplace, which yes. is, well, like, it, that's another one of these things of, like, it took us 15 episodes to get there. Um, but, um, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, yeah, and, and it, it did feel like something that we, uh, <laughs> we should have gotten to earlier, and I was really glad when we did get there. That like that was a that was an enjoyable ep- uh, episode to record, and 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 very. Um, I, I appreciate all of the specificity of what we addressed in that uh, episode. Like many very specific things that relate to like actual dilemmas and uh, opportunities and possibilities in the tech sector um, related to workers organizing. Um, and like, yeah, that was, that was really good to cover. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, what, what to say beyond just like go back and listen to it. Cause it's still relevant. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, very much still relevant. It's also, we were reading material that was contemporary at the moment that we recorded it. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool as well. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. It's, um, it's a current that I think we would like to do a bit more of going forward. Um, like we, we have done more of that um, tech worker organizing stuff, but um, yeah, we, we don't have any plans to drop that, that thread. Um, yeah, uh, episode 16, an intersectional analysis of geoengineering, where we had our first guest, uh, Tina Sicker. Um, really, really fun episode, and like I think we should definitely do more guests. Um, I mean, we we do we do have even more guests from here on out, but um, yeah, like this is um, that was a really, really interesting, um, really interesting episode. Uh, it was, I think it was, I think it was particularly interesting because it was stuff that we wouldn't necessarily have gotten around to without uh, Tina's input, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this episode, the, the subject matter of this episode, uh, you know, specifically talking about how, like, the impact of technological implementations can be various according to, like, your background and degree of marginalization really reminded me of, like, some of the things that I saw at the um, symposium on the Anthropocene that I went to in 2018, uh, end of 2018. And, yeah, there's definitely, like, a lot of sort of, like, valuable thinking there about... Like, I I think this gets kind of gets back to our discussion about, um, you know, coordination versus flexibility, right? Um, and I think that's really, it's really important to keep these kinds of considerations in mind, uh, when thinking about, uh, approaches to dealing with the challenges of our time, right? Like geoengineering is like a potential maybe kind of solution to the massive problems that we're facing. Like not really, but, but solution in big fucking quotes, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's it's in big, (laughs) in big quotes, but um, it doesn't, it's certainly like, I, th- I think that the thing that this, this paper or, uh, this, this chapter was getting at really was that, um, that kind of like all encompassing response doesn't really have that flexibility, right? It doesn't have, um, 
the requisite variety to deal with the variety of people's lived experiences, right? Um, and I, I think that's a really interesting avenue of thought. So I, I look forward to, to seeing more of that. Or even to like um, to touch on, because I think we're, we're making allusion to the immediately prior episode on um, inherent instability of disordered systems. Like di- dis- disadvantaged folks don't have requisite variety to challenge um, such an enormous scale project either, right? Like that they're the, yes, the, the lack of does. organization. Uh, really harms people who have already been harmed, you know? Um, Yeah, it it very much, uh, there is a, there is a deep uh, inadequacy in both ways. Um, Yeah. Both of the the policy solution and also of the means that, uh, you know, for example, a uh, Indian peasant has to cope with the consequences of geoengineering. Yeah. yeah, great episode. I mean, I'm wrapping up every one of these sections with like great episode. Check it out, but like, yeah, great episode, check it out. Um, episode seventeen, the dispossessed with Fraser. Um, yeah, that was that was another really great one, and the first uh, the first work of fiction that we've uh, we've tackled. Um, well, aside from Red Plenty, right? Oh fuck yeah, that's right. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, is it is it fiction? You know, <laughs> no, it, it is. Yeah. Why well, do I keep it's, forgetting it's that? Historical yeah. fiction, right? It's but, like, historical fiction. Yeah, but like, there, there's something to it where that like. Yeah, I completely forgot that that was fiction. Um, I don't know. Yeah, weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, dis- The Dispossessed was fun. Um, yeah, like really, um, again, this, this this theme of like very real possibilities for living differently, right, um, is the, the sort of major, one of the major themes of, uh, of that book. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it it is a fantastic book, just really amazing yeah um yeah one of the best books i've ever read Mm. uh for sure and um yeah that was i mean that one sticks with me for a lot of reasons both because it's such a good book and also because it it was just so difficult to get through for me um uh, that it was it was a yeah, it was rough, uh, but I, I really am glad that we recorded the episode. Um, I'm really glad I got a chance to read it, um, and I look forward to doing more of Le Guin's work on the show because um, I, I'm continually impressed with the quality of her writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just incredible work. Um, I think, what, what was it we thought we would do? Like, was it The Left Hand of Darkness or something? Um, yes, but we'll, that's right. We'll get around to that, I'm sure, at some point. Um, it was also, it was nice to take a break to to do um, to do, do something fictional, right? Like, to, to have a bit of elbow room or a bit of leg room to just stretch out and and, uh, and kick back, you know? And, uh, and Fraser's a great well, guest as well. Again, yeah. it's the, I, I feel like your experience of the book was rather different than mine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You were, you were in a big rush. It felt to, to more like, uh, I don't know, just... Oh, it was it was bad. It, it was yeah. I was I was uh, like yeah. I mean, I just I had major PTSD flashbacks from grad school reading that book, and um, it was really difficult to get through uh, to the point that I didn't I didn't read the whole thing until afterwards, right? Um, and and uh, yeah, so. Um, I definitely appreciated the change of tone of moving to something that was like just straight up science fiction. 
but uh, yeah, I think uh, probably our experiences were very different of, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, but this brings us on to uh, episodes 18 and 19, where we read The Cybernetic Brain. This this definitely feels like the tentpole of the show, right? Like it is, um, well, no, because let, let, let it not be the tentpole, because that would mean it would be the halfway mark, and that would mean we'd only have another couple of episodes to go before it inevitably ends but it's 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 certainly one of the central pillars on which the whole thing stands right like um yeah that was an incredible read like absolutely incredible and it's 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 here that we finally get to the good kind of systems thinking uh and sure yeah yeah and this 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 is what gives us this kind of ammo to to, um to uh to to counter the the the, uh the, the sort of dour um horrible downer ending of, of uh, all watched over <laughs> you know yeah yeah i think um it it really did open up a lot of possibilities in terms of our thinking um and it's a really multifaceted book um i think it's it's one we continually refer back to as as uh <sighs> an inspiration and something that um, allows us to get that different perspective on the things that we discuss on the show. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just very valuable. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of core ideas of the book um, are ones that I think about all the time. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I know, like I, yeah, I hope to to read some more chapters of it in the future uh, on the show because it it is it is really really good. Yeah, definitely. We should we should get onto some more of it. Um, but like this, some of the core ideas that really stand out for us are the kind of um, obviously the, the the notion of adaptivity um, as being a, a primary concern. Um, the the notion of the 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 adaptive brain as a or the adaptive mind as a kind of embedded embodied phenomenon like rather than being something that's detached from the world it's actually embedded in the world um and that flows into this like performance or like process ontology this this whole different way of looking at the world that's like in kind of stark contrast to the um you know what what pickering would say was like the, the kind of modern scientific uh, framing uh, that we saw in the kind of um the folks that were looked at by curtis's uh, documentary um so we're emphasizing here this kind of like non-dualism, like that the mind and mind and body aren't actually separate. That like um, advanced complex intelligent behavior emerges from uh, complex organizations of matter. You get and and from that you get these like strange agencies, like um, from uh, assembled assembled machines having agency that you wouldn't expect them to have. Um, and the, the big one is the kind of unknowability of the world, right? And the kind of impossibility the impossibility of total control. Um, that like kind of mathematically it is impossible to actually control the world um and there's there's something there's something relieving about that um i find like that you can just sort of in the, in in one sense of like well you know we, we often squander a lot of time on epistemological sort of uh wankery about like oh well how do we know the thing how do uh, you know it's, it's all pointless what you actually need to focus on is performance and engagement but also that attempts to control and to like dominate are kind of in and maybe this is one of these very pollyanna sort of things but those those attempts to dominate uh, and to totally control are kind of destined to fail ultimately 
um, because the the project is actually impossible. Like you can't do it, and it's like we we get onto that in the the episode as well about like the kind of failures of modernity and like say the the war on terror, for example, as a, a kind of example of that, and an an attempt to project domination onto a complex system that fails absolutely because that that domination is actually impossible ontologically. Like at a, at a sort of physical level, it cannot be done. That's uh, it's reassuring in a way, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, it it is, and you know, we're very much coping with this problem, you know, as as an entire civilization, right? Like one of the things that was brought up at the um, at the Anthropocene Symposium that I went to was this idea of uh, persistence. Um, so looking at how long patterns of life are able to persist. So this is something, you know, obviously connected to archaeology, um, to some extent to anthropology, uh, but really, really it's an archaeological thing. And um, those, those persistent patterns, so for example, like one of the examples that was given was like um, the design of a woven basket. That design uh, may have persisted over hundreds, if not thousands of years, like very, very uh, slowly being reformed and changed, um, but basically adapted to its environment, right, is useful in the environment and is also um, a part of a process of life that involves a kind of like recurring stewardship of the environment, harvesting uh, production, and then the use of those that that produced artifact in the environment itself. And you know that is that is certainly something that is is viable. It is is recurring. Um, it is is you know has a kind of uh, homeostasis to it. And the the important important point that was being brought up there with relation to the Anthropocene was like, well. We, in like since the beginning of the capitalist era, we have like strove after this this kind of total control, right? Um, and we have produced artifacts and patterns of life that are incredibly scalable, right? Like that 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 have have come to dominate most of the globe and in some ways are very powerful and effective, but it seems as though their capacity, like their viability as persistent systems is extremely poor. Like it is, is kind of inconceivable to me. Like, I mean, in the first place we have the idea of the product cycle and product innovation, right? Like that's just kind of a, it is a core of capitalism in terms of the revolutionizing of the means of production, but it has also become just kind of a core of capitalism in terms of the consumer product cycle, right? Um, and the way that marketing works. Um, and b baked into that design is the assumption that persistence is kind of worthless. Um, and when our sort of everyday artifacts or the artifacts that we're, are, uh, that, that surround us in our life and form a part of the pattern of our life are designed to be kind of hostile to, to, uh, persistence, um, 
that kind of has knock-on effects to our relationship to the rest <laughs> of the world or the general pattern of our life. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really feel like the presentation of control and complexity um, and viability that we see in the cybernetic brain um, as, a, as a sort of non-modern way of thinking uh, does get at this sort of very material uh, recurring pattern of life that we have that is probably not long for this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like getting getting back to the thing we were talking about a bit earlier about like the the sense of of impending collapse, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's I think that the value here is that this introduces these terms, right, and these like viability, like Stafford Beer's notion of viable systems about like emergence and exceedingly complex systems. Um, but it also gives us, and you know, all, all that stuff about the the, the sort of non non modernity and like non modern ways of thinking. Um, it's really nice to see a, uh, critique of modernity that isn't just some reactionary bullshit. Like, th- this, this is a positive, a positively framed, uh, critique of modernity, um, which, which, you know, it, it isn't just some Kaczynski fucking crank bullshit. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think this is, like, a major challenge that we have right now, is that, um... We, like, this is certainly a tension that was very evident at the Anthropocene Symposium I went to, which is that we have to reevaluate our fundamental values as a modern society. Like, that is, that is a, a fact of the situation we find ourselves in, both because, uh, you know, of these... Um, ecological challenges we're facing and also because of just our general social dysfunction and that brings us into a place where we have to like reevaluate our understanding of non-modern societies right uh or non-modern social formations for most of modernity we've looked down on them as as basically backwards um, and, uh, you know, they, they have the fundamental flaw that they cannot provide as much material wealth uh, uh, to their citizens as, you know, as, as a modern society can. And they don't have the, you know, military force that a modern society can or, or has. Right. Uh, and I think we have to reevaluate all of that right now. And that's what people are doing. Uh, but it is very easy in so doing to fall into sort of reactionary patterns of thought, uh, sort of Malthusianisms or um, like limits to growth ideas or um, just sort of like uh, like the uncritical valorization of village life or traditional life uh, and 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 I think that we really need tools like we find in the cybernetic brain to conduct that reevaluation in a sort of um, careful way, uh, in a way that may allow us to um, 
both enjoy some of the freedoms we have today uh, and maybe enjoy other freedoms that we don't have today uh, going forward, as opposed to saying, well, we just, you know, need to go full on primitivist or whatever, or like, you know, that uh, going, you know, going back to four futures, that kind of uh, whatever, like uh, not exterminist, but like sort of the grimmest form of socialism you can imagine. Oh yeah, the right, the, like the kind of socialism. like e- yeah, yeah, like uh, eco-Stalinism or something like that. You know, like which is is pretty much the specter that the right uses to scare people about uh, climate change measures. Right? Is that is that like oh well the the socialists are going to take everything you have and and force you to live uh, on gruel at gunpoint to protect the environment right um, yeah yeah and it it is crucial that we we present like what is, what we have here in the cybernetic brain of like a suggestion of a a sort of beautiful future right like um because it, it's it's in the subtitle of the book right sketches of another future um a a, a non modern future. As well as the, the 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 crucial thing that it is um it is forward looking it is um it is it is it is it is a positive uh, program, um and this is where I think we start to develop um these notions of like a a cybernetic politics right like or a navigational politics or um you know an an adaptive and revealing politics that um you know that that that, that just ad- adopts these sorts of ideas and that that for us is a, still an ongoing research program. Um, that we're, we're we're still grappling with, and you know it's it's not easy doing it in our spare time either. But uh, we're getting there, um, and it, it does come up later in the show again, like when we get back to Stafford Beer. Uh, but this this is definitely the point where we we turn a corner, I think, in the show, like going from just like critique to like having something new to um, to bring with us. Um, yeah, fabulous, really fabulous stuff. Like check out those two those two episodes. Um, the next one, episode 20, Yeoman Coders, um, is a pretty awesome uh, discussion, I think, of um, the kind of labor relations of open source software. Um, and it, t- it does touch back on the kind of Californian ideology stuff. Um, I don't think there's an immense amount of stuff to say about it now, but um, it's, it was a good episode. Yeah, I, I think like there's enough detail there that it's worth just kind of going back and listening to it. But like, really, it is about that topic of the way that open source presents itself and what actually underlies its functioning and what kind of labor relations it promotes. Um, and, you know, that's that's something I had thought about for a very long time prior to recording that episode. Um, and uh, I think it's worth going to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I would like to cover more of that sort of stuff in the future. But, like, I think the thing that struck me uh, in building these notes for this episode was that, like, um, I don't, I don't, like, you don't get much of that sort of... Um, particular analysis right that we, we could sort of base it off on except for like the 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 article that we did read for that episode um as the jumping off point but um if the listeners know about any any stuff that like uh rings that particular bell then like let us know we would like to right read. um yeah 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 um yeah i think that's that's actually pretty cutting edge thinking um right there that that you see um and and I expect there will be more of it, uh, but yeah, it, it is quite rare. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, let us know if you're aware of any obscure stuff that we would like to read on that uh, that front. Um, episode twenty one, uh, accelerate again, keeping with the A's. Um, 
a brief history of accelerationism, um, uh, which is something we had been asked to cover a couple of times. Um, and we sort of go over the, the origins of this, this uh, pattern of thought um, up through, you know, from Deleuze and Guattari through Leotard up through Land and the CCRU and Fisher. Um, and then we, we sort of close off the episode with a, a read of the Accelerate Manifesto by uh, Nick Cernishek and Alex Williams, which is is more of like a left acceleration thing, which um, is is a is like, from what I can tell, like absolutely fucking derided in the sort of proper accelerationist Twitter sort of sphere. But then most of those people are dorks anyway, so I'm not too, too worried. That was a good read, I thought. The the manifesto, like it it mentioned, it, it it explicitly calls for this navigational politics, um, an acceleration that is also navigational. Um, which I think we found pretty interesting and we, we managed to synthesize some pretty cool thoughts out of that by combining it with the cybernetic brain. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll be returning to Cernicek with uh, platform capitalism very soon. Yeah. yeah. The other sort of thing there is that it, it also reminded us a lot of, um, of flying cars, right, where it's, it's a similar argument that, like, uh, capitalism as we know it now is kind of running on fumes uh, off of like previous periods of dynamism and um, that like in its current state it's actually very very stagnant and um, you know uh, it, 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 it ends up countering the sort of arguments of the um, the sort of Landians um, about their, their sort of their obsession with like uh, accelerated deterritorialization that like capital as we know it right now is actually very re-territorializing um, and very stodgy and there, there's a call there to kind of re-accelerate the process and break out of capitalism as we know it. Um, however, in the end, it's not actually accelerationism, right? Like, it's, it's a different sort of thing that's being called for. But it's, it's a thing we, we, we kind of like, you know? I mean, it's, um, I, think, I think there's, there's fertile ground there. And I think it, it's something we sort of do in the background for the rest of the show is we're sort of taking the best parts of that manifesto and combining them with the navigational stuff of uh, the cybernetic brain. Um, and that's so... Yeah, that's that's a good episode, and that's stuff that's like, you know, for for two thirds of the episode, we we are in critique mode uh, uh, against the sort of mainline accelerationists, but then like there is a a current of that thought that we quite like as well, and uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I I think that this kind of um, critique of capitalism as insufficient will like it seems to be sort of gathering steam it seems to be getting some kind of popular traction these days and uh i think you know uh, given that we're fairly certainly about to enter another financial crisis i think in the aftermath of that it will be uh it will be another sort of moment where the we'll, we'll have a very dismal recovery and this kind of argument will have traction, right? It will have, it will be relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, like, uh, so to be to be totally clear, this uh, we're recording this in uh, January of 2019, and like everything that we're seeing at the moment in the sort of business press is pointing towards an Im imminent recession. Uh, or slow down, or whatever you want to call it. So it's going to be super fun. You know, it's probably going to ha ha happen by the time this comes out, or or maybe not. Maybe maybe everyone will have egg on their faces. Uh, who knows? It's hard to predict precisely, but I I feel like within a year, maybe maybe two, I think we're going to see some pretty dire events. 
uh, financially speaking. But hey, I mean, I am no cheerleader for the stock market. I'm just, you know, like everybody else, we all have to suffer the consequences of uh, this way this system is organized. Yeah, grim stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, episodes 22, 23, and 24 uh, brought us on to another uh, marathon uh, three part series on um, Andrew Feenberg's book, uh, Transforming Technology. Um, which I guess is another another big pillar that we sort of stand on, right? Because this gives us um, this gives us the account of how and why uh, it's possible to transform technical civilization, right? That like um, it turns out that no, like technology isn't neutral, but it's also not a alien evil force that cannot ever be bargained with. Like it's not the Terminator. Um, it's actually a thing that's like an entangled complex phenomena um, and again it's, it's this thing of like a, a big part of the value here is it introduces to new vocabulary right like we get um, we get operational autonomy the the sort of um, the the autonomy enjoyed by management um, the, the, the autonomy to decide on what counts as good technology and bad technology in the sort of workplace right that's kind of crucial um, the notion of a technical code as a sort of abstract coordinating logic that welds power to technology. Um, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, those are those are two really key concepts. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the kind of positive argument here, uh, or the thing that we can take away is that, like, um, we, can, we can transform technical society if um, you can transform the sort of interests that feed into the design of, of, that, of, of the technical infrastructure. If you change the technical code, right, like you can, because we, we, we operate in a particular kind of technical code that privileges one group of people over everyone else. Um, you change the code to privilege everyone else or, you know, to, to like alter the logic, then, you know, you can, you can actually change society that way. We, we can't do justice to it here. Uh, go listen to the episodes. They're fantastic. Yeah, it's a bit of a monster. Yeah, it's three episodes, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that is the core takeaway, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 25 gets us to a, a real, real wonderful interview with Andrew Pickering, uh, of, of uh, author of The Cybernetic Brain. Uh, just just great stuff. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Skype was fucking horrific, though. Um, oh, boy. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, never, never Skype again. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, well, we had, we had a subsequent Skype troubles, too. And, and yeah, I, I think I think we're going to have to put our foot down on that one. Yeah, it's, that's... Skype is yeah. out of the conversation. Worst codec ever. Like, oh, my God. What it does to audio is just fucking terrible. Um, well, it's it's just it's just antiquated, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, like great stuff, and it was it was uh, it was wonderful to talk to, to Andrew. Um, yeah. Um, then episode twenty six brings us up to um, a sort of a fun sort of reversal of, of uh, or not a reversal of format, but a, a fun change of format as well, where it was a, a report back from a, a conference I attended, uh, Metaforum in uh, November of 2018. The Metaforum is a um, non-profit organization that's set up um, to continue the work of Stafford Beer. So I got to hang about with for a couple of days with people who worked with Stafford directly, um, people who have been applying his ideas in uh, in business for, for however long. Um, 
unknowingly I got to speak uh, got, got to talk briefly with someone who was um, running Project Cybersen at one point um, and I, I only realized that after I left I was like oh god that, that's that's that role <laughs> okay right um, now I know who it is uh, wonderful like really wonderful experience and um, yeah just just fantastic yeah uh, it was definitely interesting to hear your experiences and uh i've been talking about this symposium that i went to and and the reason why i didn't do a similar uh episode about that was i wasn't able to attend the the whole thing so i feel like i i couldn't really give it i couldn't really do it justice uh but uh yeah, hopefully we'll have more of these sort of experiences in the future that we'll be able to report back on and uh, kind of give people a sense of what sorts of gatherings are out there and what uh, they might have to offer. I mean, it's 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 pretty common in like coding podcasts to talk about you know the conference circuit, uh, and I, I don't think we're ever really going to be doing that exactly, but just giving that sort of report on uh, what we did experience, I think, can have some value. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think I think there's also kind of more, um, there's more, uh, I don't know, intellectual value in our sort of attending conferences about uh, the Anthropocene and about Stafford Beer's work and cybernetics and then reporting back on that uh, as opposed to like, going to another fucking javascript conference <laughs> oh of course yeah but i mean yeah that is uh i feel like yeah i mean that's <laughs> uh I, I i'm not gonna yeah yeah i'm totally not gonna be up here uh talking about uh yeah the hot new framework you gotta learn uh, <laughs> get your your coder boot camp right away um but uh it would be great i think it would be great to to try to attend more of these sort of relevant conferences. Um, and then, you know, again, invite for the listeners, if, if you know of things that we don't know about, let us know. Um, that's always a standing invita invitation anyway, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, so where are we? Um, yeah, episodes 27 and 28, uh, on Xenofeminism, um, with our guest, uh, Kira McGran. Uh, Another another excellent guest episode. Wow, like Jesus, it's uh, it's so much. Um, I love when we have guests on. You know, it's just it's just fantastic. I think it's it's also been good to get um, like because obviously the xenofeminism thing is, is it, it explicitly um, a, a feminism and um, touching on the intersection of like gender and technology and so on. Um, being able to talk about that and also to get a, a guest that like complements our sort of perspectives and brings their own stuff to the table. Um, wonderful. It's, it's a recipe for a great episode. You know? Yeah. It was, it, it was a really good conversation. The, the only thing that sort of came up to me in the, in the wake of this uh, episode was there was this, um, I might have, we might have to link it in the show notes cause I, I can't remember the exact title, but there was a essay uh, that, came out i want to say like about a month and a half two months ago um and it was uh this very like searing critique of uh cybernetic feminism um as like kind of like the problems of that haraway style perspective um 
when considering uh, the experience of uh, disabled people who actually, you know, make use of prostheses on a regular basis, and that's just a practical part of their lives. Um, uh, and and so um, I think we might have to put that in the show notes. Like I don't I don't think it invalidates what we were saying there, but like it definitely gave me pause. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll throw that in the, the show notes, um, because, uh, it is, it is a very good essay. It's very to the point and, uh, it raises some real questions about how our culture thinks about like embodied cybernetics. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll revisit that with an episode in the future. I can't guarantee it, but, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm not doing it justice even now. So (laughs) we might have to do that. Um, yeah, but, uh, I still definitely stand behind the discussion we had in Xenofeminism in that episode because it was just such a great conversation with Kira and, um, it's, uh, well worth listening to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that um, what you just mentioned there sort of uh, highlights something that's perhaps not explicit in the way we run the show, but is uh, I think comes up a couple of times where um, we're not particularly, like, in most cases, we're not particularly, like, emotionally attached to the sort of um, material we cover, so we are absolutely fine with scathing critiques of it, and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like if um, if somebody publishes a book that completely invalidates the cybernetic brain, we'll cover it. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, on the off chance um, that happens. But like, so yeah, that, that's that's well <laughs> up our, our our alley, and we're not gonna we we we're not you we're not going to like stand for any particular um, author or <laughs> uh, or material that we cover. Like, and I think we we've been like openly critical of stuff that we've read as well. Um, oh, in fact, we, we we have the we have the missing episode as well, that where we were so critical of it we couldn't even bother to record the damn thing (laughs) oh for sure yeah Yeah. and i mean the the criticisms that i read uh were subsequent to that episode and like they were pointing out a blind spot and that was definitely a blind spot that i had like it it just just was not really on my radar um and so uh yeah like um i i I think it's very important to the way we think about cybernetics. And so uh, we'll probably we'll talk about that more in the future. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, episode 29, uh, player of games with uh, Fraser Simons again. Um, another, another fun book, another fun bit of fiction. It was nice to get into uh, the, uh, the culture series uh, of novels. Um, particularly the, the, t- the touch point being that like, if these, these folks like, Elon Musk and a bunch of other Valley dudes were like, you know, supposedly very influenced by the culture things. And it's like, it's hard to see how, because they seem to miss the point entirely of the, um, the blistering sort of critique that, uh, Banks lays down against like capitalism and such. And it's like, have these, have these people amazing. read the book? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing this week was like, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, like AOC quoting Watchmen, uh, and then like her, her critics being like, you know, like totally unself reflexively 
totally unaware, just just utterly blind to what Moore was saying in that book. Uh, just being like, well, Rorschach is just like the coolest dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, obviously he's just like my libertarian superhero. So, um, like, what are you even doing talking about this guy? <laughs> it's, it's, I love uh, that because, like, like, how how can you miss it? Because like, there's um. Uh, the, the the dead giveaway for me because I, I read I read Watchmen when I was like a a teenager and I wasn't particularly smart right but like there's like within the first four pages there's that line where Rorschach is like I'm going to tell the invulnerable man that somebody intends to kill him and I was like oh this guy's a dumb piece of shit that's what the that's what the character is like it's <laughs> it's, it's so blindingly obvious he's like how do, I I don't know how how people read this stuff and not not pick up on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, player of games is fantastic. Um, as, as some of the some of the sort of really interesting themes are like that, like structure matters and like language matters and technique matters, right? That like the um, the protagonist is altered by their contact with a society that has such a radically different structure and a different way of speaking and a different way of like interacting with each other and with their built environment and such that it actually it actually does warp his mind eventually. Um, yeah, fantastic. And like, especially the thing, the thing about like how power and systems are wo- woven together, um, was fabulous. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, and I think there is actually <laughs> similarly, there's probably a huge discussion to be had about the way that disability is treated in that book. I kind of brought it up at the end of the discussion, but when I went back and thought about the book more and the way that, Oh, what's his name? The the drone uh, uh, that Florim Saho or whatever. Oh no, the, the bad drone. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, the, ba- the bad quote of a bad drone. Yeah, the the narrator. Well, it ends up being the same person uh, anyway. But yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Fuck it. We'll just call him the bad drone. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way that he frames his situation in terms of disability. Uh, in the culture is actually really interesting and something we didn't really address as well as we might have. Uh, I think there's there's probably a, f- a full discussion to be had there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, well, we, we, yeah. we took it on face value for what he was saying, that, like, oh, he, fe- he feels as if he's been defanged or whatever. Um, but, yeah, yeah that's, but that's like, like... What does that mean in a society like the culture, I think, is a big question that you can kind of get into a little bit more than we might, or than we, than we did in, in, in that episode. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, great episode again. Um, I, I did have one, one little bit I, I want to elbow in here because, um, I had, I had it in my notes and I, I remember I've, I mentioned it in the episode that I intended to come back to this before we wrapped up and I forgot to do it, but that like the, um, there's a really interesting bit like that like there's there's only four chapters in the book like or four sections and the the actual chapters aren't really numbered but um the last of them is called machina x machina which is you know the the machine from the machine and it's a play on this usual thing of like deus ex machina but uh in the language of azad like the the empire that the the protagonist goes to visit azad means machine or system so what it's getting at here is that like it's the machine from the machine, the system from the system, and Azad from Azad. And it, like that's exactly what they're doing, right? The, the game of Azad that they use to determine the emperor of the empire called Azad is an autopoetic system that's self-perpetuating. 
in that the play of the game conditions you to be this kind of ty- tyrannical emperor figure and that further conditions the next run around the loop. So I, I thought that was actually very clever. Um, and uh, it, but it, it leans on the reader remembering this like little factoid from the beginning of the book that, oh, well, in, in their language, Azad just means machine. Um, yeah, f- uh, fabulous. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I, I definitely look forward to doing Accession um, on the show. That's uh, going to be good. Because uh, that is, I mean, especially in the moment that we're in right now, I am here for a book that is just the most searing burn on Tories ever found in a, <laughs> found in a, uh, in a science fiction novel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do they call the aff- the affront or something? The affront, yes, the affront. They're just, like, utterly offensive to every norm uh, imaginable. Yeah, yeah, and then there's that awful dude who's like, well, actually, they're pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is is good. Uh, I enjoy many things about that book. I look forward to covering it. Yep. Um... So yeah, episode 30 then was um, an interview with Wendy Liu and Jason Prado about tech worker organizing, which was an excellent conversation. A um, lot of back and forth. Uh, we, we, we went dunking on open source software again <laughs> in that conversation too. Um, yeah, just, just, just excellent stuff. And like, I think, I think like our guest episodes have turned out to be some of the better episodes of the show. Um, yeah. And I think like, um, there was a part in the conversation where I was sort of dismissing political solutions to the situation because I was just thinking about how terribly captured Californian politics is by the tech sector uh, or American politics in general. Uh, and and Wendy sort of rightly corrected me at that <laughs> point, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, well, um, it's why we get yeah. smart folks on the show, right? Like as guests, because yeah. like, we're we, we don't have sufficient variety to um, <laughs> to, to meet all these challenges, and we've got to get get cleverer people in. Um, yeah, I mean, I I've I've been out of politics for a very long time because I have been living in Japan. Um, I don't have the franchise and my residential status here is, is tenuous, but I, I'm sort of also in a privileged enough position that if things get really bad, uh, I can leave, uh, which is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I expect that I will be having more sort of political engagement, uh, when I return to Canada and can actually, engage in politics as a, as a citizen as opposed to just uh, a, a resident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, and that brings us up to, like, the kind of more or less the end of the run, right? Like, well, uh, well the second to last, um, Designing Freedom, uh, episode 31, where we read uh, Stafford Beer's uh, book of the same name, which is actually the notes to a series of lectures, um, not really a book, but is also... Like quite a nice read. Yeah, this this feels like it was very important stuff as well, right? Like, um, particularly the points about like the frailty and insufficiency of our current institutions, right? Like, and he, he manages to frame that critique in terms of, in cybernetic terms, right? In terms of variety and variety engineering, um, and stability, like the, the this this notion of cybernetic homeostasis, where a a system is like dynamically stable and is able to respond to challenges from its environment. Um, but that, like, our, our institutions aren't. They just, they aren't fucking able to do that. And um, we're, we're living the evidence of that right now. 
So I mean, like, what's what's what what's kind of remarkable is that like. Um, like, it was, Stafford was writing this stuff in the 70s. Um, or, like, it, this is also something I notice in general with his writing, that he writes about things in the 60s and the 70s that are, like, imminently familiar now, as if as if nothing has improved in the uh, the intervening years. Yeah. Um, ugh, that's very oh true. Um, <laughs> it certainly diagnosed some deep problems. Um, and, I mean, I think an interesting point that is brought up in, in that lecture series is that, like, yeah, homeostasis and um, homeostasis is a thing that we often uh, think about in rather positive terms because we are bodies um, <laughs> that need to be homeostatically viable to uh, to survive. But, you know, he makes he makes a good point that, like, in the case of a a uh, poorly adapted bureaucracy, uh, you know, super stability or homeostasis can actually be quite negative. So uh, we we have to uh, it, like it was interesting to sort of think through those ideas um, about systems that are quite stable and persistent, uh, but actually in a very detrimental way to their environment. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's bad stuff. Um, but like it, the, the, the other thing that sort of stands out to me with that episode is that like, or I suppose with that book is that, um, there was a lot of resonance with transforming technology, right? Like this argument for, um, like one of the chapter titles is science in the service of man. Um, that like, Kind of making a very similar argument to what Feinberg was making, but in in twenty pages instead of three hundred, um, you know, which I which I found kind of interesting. Um, yeah, um, definite them- thematic resonance. Um, and yeah, then the the last episode we 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 just recorded, uh, episode thirty two, um, the inherent instability of disordered systems. Um, that was a bit of an experiment as well. Um, it was a little bit outside of our normal um, sort of set of things that we we tend to read. It was a it was a math paper for, or like a sort of a very heavily mathematical paper for one thing. I think it turned out to be to be pretty pretty good. Um, but um, it's it's sort of like it's hard to tell whether we'll um, yeah I don't know like um, whether it's whether it's sort of an, a, a good approach because I think we we took um we took a sort of a gloss of the of the paper. Which is what we do when we're reading books, right? Like we, we we don't have time to go through every detail of every paragraph, so we just take the the gloss of it. But um, I think yeah, we might have it might have paid to have a bit of a closer reading of the uh, of the thing. But it, like it was hard to read it closely because it was leaning on on sort of mathematical notation that's tough for both of us. Um, so yeah, I, I think we were definitely pushing up against the edges of our expertise. Uh, or knowledge, I should say. Uh, and um, it was also just a very different style of writing than we're used to covering on the show. So I think, like, you know, there were probably some missteps there. I know there were there were sort of areas of the argument that I was quite fuzzy on, uh, and I may have spoken more <laughs> with more assurance about it than I actually should have had, but uh, it's 
it, it very much felt like a, a first stab at covering that sort of material. And um, it may like, I, it, it felt to me like our efforts were somewhat amateurish and maybe the way that the first episode of this series was because we were doing something rather different. Right. And it was outside of what our normal comfort zone was. So uh, yeah, like, I mean, um, I'm sure that uh, people may have some feedback about the episode and that'd be good. And like, you know, we're going to give some thought about how to cover stuff like that uh, a little bit more uh, adequately in the future. Uh, Cause of course we don't want to be, you know, going through line by line uh, and, and, and like, you know, giving you a description <laughs> of how the math works. Uh, but, um, we do need to kind of gloss it in a maybe different way than, than we are used to doing, uh, articles that are written in, in plain or academic English. Yeah. I think, I think, um, part of the problem maybe was, I, I think we're, we're maybe being a bit too harsh on ourselves, but like, I, I think it did turn out to be a pretty good episode, but like, um, Part of the problem, perhaps, was that um, the core, it, it felt as if it was making one central point about, like, how relatively disordered systems will take on structure from their environment and thus will kind of, like, um, fail in a way. Like, that they'll, they'll be, they won't, they won't be viable in their own right, they'll be taking on structure that's imposed on them externally um and i think because the ab the abstract is so clear about that that that's the point they're going to try and make i think it was it was too easy to read the rest of the article in 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 a way that it was just restating the same point over and over again however like going back to it i think there is a bit more there that we missed out on like um the stuff about uh how they how they go from like um what is it like respond like changes in subsections of a a system becoming like and considering those as like changes to the whole system or whatever um i think we sort of glossed over that but it probably is actually quite important to the argument their 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 novel technique for talking about those internal changes in terms of scaled noise i think was very interesting when i read it and i it it, it made sense when i read it initially but i couldn't for the life of me recall what it was about when i was looking through the notes while we were recording so we we kind of skipped over that and i was like fuck like i think i think we missed something actually kind of important there um yeah uh, yeah 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 it's uh yeah i mean you know it's okay to for us to kind of fumble things here and there occasionally um and uh we'll we'll definitely uh <laughs> well hey you got 31 excellent episodes in one one dud right that's yeah that's like <laughs> you know i feel like our our batting average is pretty <laughs> solid here um yeah and uh yeah so uh hey look uh we tried something new uh it was good it wasn't perfect it wasn't uh out outstanding uh but uh we're we're gonna we're gonna work on that in the future and 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 i'm sure there'll be good stuff because yeah like i do i am sensitive to the thing that people have been saying which is that like like you talk a lot about like sort of around cybernetics and I think in this last period of time, we've been kind of been able to cover cybernetics a little bit more directly. Um, but we need to kind of figure out where the sweet spot is in terms of our engagement with that subject, because obviously there is a kind of, um, there is a kind of technical mathematical side to it that doesn't lend itself to podcasting. Right. Um, 
and uh, d- doesn't lend itself to our, our skill set. So, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm dreadful at math. Um, it's it's quite a different experience from reading an article about tech worker organizing. You know, like, it is it is quite a different thing. Um, but I guess, like, going forward, I mean, we'll probably do another retrospective in, what, 30 or 40 episodes from now. Um, but um, I think going forward... Um, it would be nice to do more of the cybernetics and sort of organizational theory stuff. Um, because like in, in Paris, what we're trying to do is actually like we, we have quite a few different missions on the show, right? Like one of them is to bring this kind of systemic thinking to uh, Marxists. Uh, the other is to bring Marxism to systemic thinkers <laughs> or to, 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 to techies, you know, um, or to, to appeal to that sort of intersection of those two, those two circles. I think we, it would be nice to keep pulling on that uh, tech worker organizing thread or like the kind of like technology in the workplace, all those kind of implications. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like, I mean, is there anything we need to, else we need to cover before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think the only uh, thing I really wanted to mention is that, uh, yeah, we're going to try to uh, sort of um, – signpost upcoming episodes a little bit better mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially when we're doing readings, if, if it's a matter of, uh, interviews, uh, we're not going to do that because people's schedules are what they are. And, uh, we definitely don't want to pressure people, uh, or guests, um, into, uh, a corner, um, or cause, uh, any kind of controversy, uh, for, for their personal situation. Uh, but in terms of the readings that we schedule, um, we will try to be a little bit more upfront about that, uh, so that, uh, you know, listeners have the time to read some of the, of the reading, uh, in advance of the episode, as opposed to, um, after the fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, um, and that's, that's a great example of like, we, we do like to listen to feedback, um. And it's 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 nice to have that that engagement and like, it's uh, I, I, this means that there are people that are following along like reading in parallel with what we're reading essentially and it's like oh boy like that's setting yourself a lot of homework but if you if you want to if you want to know about it ahead of time yeah absolutely you can know about it ahead of time uh, so in that in that spirit the next um, the next episode after this is going to be a, a book uh, platform capitalism by Nick Cernishek. Relatively short read and a relatively breezy read, so that's a good opportunity to get ahead of that. And um, Yeah, and it is uh, unquestionably, unimpeachably Marxist. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> we we want to do more Marxist stuff, actually. That's the other, the other category yeah. I forgot to kind of yeah. mention, is that like, um, I'm aware that we've been a little bit light on the Marxian sort of theory stuff, um, but... We should do a bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, the last major sort of engagement we had with that was uh, um, the Feinberg reading, right? Um, and uh, xenofeminism, to an extent, it kind of came up, right? But I think the Feinberg reading was the last one where you had that really substantial discussion of Marx. So, um, yeah, no, I, I expect we'll be of plenty more of that. Um, and uh, certainly platform capitalism we're going to have some good old Marxism in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, so thanks listeners for listening to us on this one. It's been a bit of a long episode, but I really hope that I hope that we've been able to tie together some threads and to bring out some stuff that, um, that we, we just haven't had time to talk about during the normal run of the episodes. Um, 
Actually, maybe this means that we should do retrospectives more often. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, Um, like uh, every 20 episodes. That might be better, yeah, than than maybe every 30. But yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you want to catch up with us on the internet, we're on Twitter at GIUnitPod. We're on Facebook as General Intellect Unit. Uh, we're on generalintellectunit.net and uh, we're on all the podcast apps so like, rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff um, if there's an opportunity to leave a review anywhere like on iTunes, whatever, maybe think about doing that um, or one of the be- like, there's two really great ways you can help us out and one is to uh, share the show with your friends or people you think might be interested in this sort of thing and the other is to uh, head to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and maybe throw us a couple of bucks a month to cover uh, cost of books and um, and hosting hosting the show. You know the little bits of technical infrastructure we have to deal with. Um, and yeah, in this next period of time, it's in a very meaningful way going to be just contributing to my basic living as I'll be you know, unemployed for a little while. So um, yeah, it's much yeah, appreciated. Nice, and and I, I I certainly um, certainly want to say uh, that. I appreciate uh, very much uh, the Patreon contributions that we have received up until this point. I, I realize it's, it's, you know, it's not an enormous amount of money, but it's a significant amount of money that we've received um, from listeners. And uh, it is much appreciated. And it does help with the show. And, uh, you know, these these 32 episodes that we produced prior to this uh I think the quality was contributed to uh, considerably uh, by uh, those contributions. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Um, we, we do appreciate it. And like it, it has um, the, the, the support and just knowing that the listeners are there is is nice. Like and it's it's helped to keep the wind in our sails through some pretty difficult like um, scheduling and like reading and, um, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. Um, we, we like producing a good show, and we we, we appreciate that people listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I guess that's it for now, and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks with Platform Capitalism. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, and goodbye. Bye.